0: We know that somewhere in the world someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a hundred dollar Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's listenerq.com slash pull up. Pickup is like target practice. You know, you go through your individual workouts, you're lifting, you're trying to get stronger, you're working on certain things every day. And then those pickup games are your chance to kind of work on certain things, see what works, see what doesn't work. A lot of players are just out there experimenting, working on certain shots. And then when it's money time, obviously, when it's game point, that's when you just go with what you're good at. Whatever you do is what you go do at that point. As the season gets closer, everything tightens up. Less dribbles, less movement. You want to be as efficient as possible. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to that spot. And then once I get there, I'm just rising up. That's the type of efficiency you want to have. And you see some of the better players in the league. Welcome to the Kevin Knox episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 20. Things are going well for me in New York right now, enjoying some of that rain, a lot of pickup basketball, and Brown's Hard Knocks, which is on HBO right now, basically showing inside behind the scenes episodes. Life in training camp, life in the quarterbacks, obviously Baker Mayfield being the number one overall pick in the draft, uh, competing for a potential starting job. We have Juice Landry giving great speeches in the locker room, trying to inspire the team. And we have the absence of Josh Gordon kind of going going along in the background. I think he'll be back soon. He's been working out in Florida the feds have been capturing pictures of him working out and he's been very active on social media throughout this process. So, uh, looking forward to seeing him return. Hopefully everything is okay with him from a, from a health standpoint and, uh, physically he looks great, but just mentally making sure he's ready to, to go and and help the team. But most importantly, making sure that he's helping himself as we head into this season. Um, I had my Canton camp last week in Canton, Ohio with my brother. The first official McCullum Brothers camp was a great success, so shout out to everybody in the 330 that came out and helped out and, and supported me. i uh, truly thankful for the turnout. And without further ado, we welcome Jordan Schultz onto the show, as always, to discuss Baker Mayfield, who he has a man crush on.
1: Uh, you know what, CJ? I love the kid. You know I do. I know that you're you're excited, but also cautiously optimistic about him. I thought he was absolutely... I thought he was absolutely phenomenal against the Giants. Now, granted, against some backups, but some of those throws he made were just great. Like, great, accurate throws. On the move, he didn't panic. He was able to go through his progressions. Um, I I think all of the things that we hoped would translate from college, at least in one preseason game, looked like they they did. So, how excited were you watching Baker, and uh, should he be the starter? (laughs)
0: <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow slow your horses there a little bit. Loaded question. Slow Tyrod your horses a good little too. Bit. Tyrod will be the starter. I think that Baker did a great job. I think you hit it right on the head. He showed a lot of poise. He showed command in the huddle, being able to move the offense up and down the field. Granted, I told you, you know, he's going up against the second team, you know, second string, third string guys, a lot of guys competing to make a roster. He still was able to do things that translate from his collegiate playing days, stepping up into the pocket, being able to move his feet, squaring up on throws, running, running across the field, scrambling while keeping his eyes down the field. He showed a lot of moxie. And I think the future for him is going to be very, very bright. But based on our history of first round picks and how they fared historically, especially at the quarterback position, I think they want to kind of keep the reins on him they don't want to throw him out there in the fire too early they want to let him continue to learn develop get a better grasp and understanding of the offense the playbook how to command the huddle how to continue to learn from taylor as well who's a who's a proven veteran very efficient quarterback and is only under contract for a year i believe so i think their plan is to mold him this year throw him out there you know some let him get his feet wet and then ultimately allow him to take over the offense a year from now kind of similar to what uh, the Rams did with uh, their quarterback and i think the surprise sure, yeah, yeah golf. i think the surprise is that our tight end play you know i think our tight ends are going to be very very crucial to our offense obviously we have the big play wide receivers we have a slot and uh, juice who's going to be able to make plays for us but i think our tight end play being able to have those checkdowns will be very very crucial and having running backs that can catch the ball out of the backfield will be extremely helpful and beneficial for us as well
1: yeah, and Joku. I mean, that guy there was a lot of hype when he was a high first round pick uh last year. Um and he, you know, he had some moments especially late in the year where he looked great. But what you saw with him catching two touchdowns against the Giants, that's I mean, that's a young quarterback's best friend. That's any quarterback's best friend. And his athleticism, his size, um he, he's gonna be he's gonna be something special. You know, he was a late first round pick two years ago or a year ago I should say, and um he has the athleticism and all of these tools and then you think about Nick Chubb uh and obviously the fact that they go out go out and get Carlos Hyde, I just think the Browns for the first time are at least exciting. And that's for you gotta be great because they 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 struggled for so long, one win in the last two years. Um <laughs> and I know I give you grief for it, but but it's, it's, it must be tough for you as a fan to continually watch the same team struggle. So um, what's the over-under for you? What would be a good season win-wise? And then also, uh, is it fair to say that the Browns not only have a quarterback, but now they have two?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think Chris Carter hit it on the head this morning or yesterday morning uh, talking about how we made some of the most moves in the NFL this upcoming season. We added receiver depth. Uh, we brought in a quarterback. We drafted a very good quarterback. We are getting Josh Gordon back uh, for a full season for the first time in a long time. And, you know, having drafted Chubbs, having drafted Denzel Ward, we're showing improvement on both sides of the ball. And I think that the future is bright. I think the Vegas odds are five and a half. I would bet the over on the five and a half comfortably. And, and and not worry about any sleep at night, just based on the production I see in the future. Our old our line will be better. We just have to be able to give our quarterbacks a little bit of time, keep them honest with the run game, and understand that the pass will be very beneficial for us yeah. this upcoming season. I think a safe bet, in, a safe bet in Vegas is is six wins. I'd say six wins is a safe bet. But I'm I'm more I'm more optimistic than that. I think we can get seven wins this season. I, seven. I think we can get seven wins this season. Oh wow! I know that we've been successful in the past preseasons I think we've gone undefeated the last two preseasons so I don't really get excited about the results of the preseason games I get excited about how we're making certain plays like are the receivers catching the ball are the dbs doing a good job in coverage is the line protecting well you know with the first unit are the quarterbacks making the proper reads those are the things I kind of watch it's similar to playing pickup in the summertime I don't really get caught up in the makes or misses it's about am I getting to my spots You know, if I want to get a jumper, what type of jump shot am I getting? If I want to get to the cup, what type of finish am I I getting? And I think that's kind of how I've approached uh, the preseason, you know, from afar watching my Browns. So you talked
1: about, you know, Baker potentially playing in a year, but it's different. It's so much different in basketball when rookies, especially first round picks, are expected to come in and generally contribute right away. Um, What's the, for you, going back to your career and thinking about football, How much easier is it to play or to be expected to play early on, Uh, and what are the benefits of sitting, which you got to do in part because of injury? What are the benefits of sitting and actually watching
0: uh, from afar? I think there's benefits with with both paths. Uh, Obviously, I wasn't able to play right away; I was hurt, so I had an interesting development, you know, having to go through rehab having to sit behind the bench, you know, in a suit on and and, and kind of watch as the season unfolded, learning from the veterans but not necessarily being able to play in the game, but being able to be at practice and involved with practice. It was difficult for me, but I think I learned a lot. I learned about the pace of the game, I learned about the development, how you need to watch film, how you need to approach practices and how to be a professional on a day on a daily basis. And I think the obviously the pressure is there because you want to play, but not being able to play for the right person, can be beneficial. Some players aren't able to concentrate and focus when they're not playing, and, you know, there's a lot of road trips. You're going through, you know, lots of great cities to where you could be going out and doing certain things, understand that you're not going to play the next night. But I think it's important that you show a sense of maturity and you're able to balance, you know, not not playing in games but still being prepared to play even though you're going to be in a suit. And I think for some quarterbacks, obviously, and, and other positions in other sports throughout throughout the uh professional realm, I think that sometimes it's beneficial to 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 sit that year. You sit that year, depending on who's playing in front of you, you learn, and you're able to go through practices, especially as a quarterback, learning the offense, transitioning to gaining that respect from the rest of your team, showing up to practice every day, prepared, being in the quarterback meetings. I think that's very helpful and beneficial, and you look at a lot of quarterbacks who have been able to sit behind someone and learn. Obviously you had Tom Brady and, and his and the guy that was kinda of learning behind him and and you see how successful he was this, this past season, although it was a small sample size. Garoppolo, yeah. Garoppolo, you got Brett Favre, and you had Aaron Rodgers. So there's a lot of, even Drew Bledsoe and Tom Brady, if you want to take it to that point to where he was behind a very good quarterback who had led his team pretty far into the postseason, and then Tom Brady takes over, and the rest is history. So I think oftentimes there's a successful route that way, but I always say there's nothing like being able to learn on the fly. Depending on the situation you're in, being able to get that that experience, those game reps, you know, throwing interceptions in big games, shooting air balls like Kobe did in the playoffs uh, with the Lakers early on in his career. I think those moments are what make or break a player. And if you're able to, you know, overcome that adversity you know, and overcome those obstacles of struggling and not succeeding, then when you when you become successful and mentally, you you continue to gain that that confidence to where you believe anything is possible and you believe that you can't fail. So I think. In both situations, there's success and there's failure, but ultimately, I think it's up to the player and the situation around them on whether or not they play right away. Yeah, it's also different with football because if
1: you're a quarterback and you do start right away and then you get pulled, it's a totally different ball game than like, like if you think about Sam Darnold with the Jets, for example, if he were to start week one and then they they play three games in 17 days and then struggle, and then they pull him, that, that could be really bad or potentially catastrophic for some guys. Whereas in basketball, you you can play right away instead of a quarterback. You can play right away and learn. And so there, there there's almost more – I think there's more pressure on a first-round quarterback than anything else if they are playing. Because if you don't play well right away, you, you get pulled, then you, you almost lose that locker room. Um, I guess my, my final question to close the loop on the Browns is – You know, I've been reporting on Dez Bryant. He's going to visit later this week. Are you excited about the opportunity for Dez to be a Brown? Do you think he'd be a good fit?
0: Honestly, I talked to Irv about this last week. Irv is one of the coaches for the Houston Rockets, a big, big Browns fan. and I think Dez could help us, but at the same time, we have a crowded receiving corps. Corpse. We have a, a, a crowded receiving... Corpse. Corpse. Yeah, but no more Corey Coleman. <laughs> right. No more Corey Coleman, but we drafted Galloway, who's a, who's a speedster. We have Juice, who plays the slot and can, and can spread wide and make plays. We have a good tight end who's able to split wide as well. And then we have Josh Gordon on the cusp of returning any time now. So I feel like there's not enough balls to necessarily go around. Unless Des Bryant's going to be a good teammate, not care about his catches, not complain in the locker room and be a cancer, I think it could work because you can never have too much depth. But... I don't necessarily know if he's going to be happy with maybe not getting targeted as much as he would like. You know, we're going to target our tight ends. We're going to target Juice, obviously. Josh Gordon and and Taylor will get real familiar with each other soon as he returns. Chubbs will be catching the ball out the backfield. Carlos Hyde will be catching the ball out the backfield. We have other running backs who are capable of catching the ball out the backfield. So I'm not necessarily sure Des is the answer, but if he's willing to come in and and do things the right way and not complain – he definitely helps us. He definitely helps us. He's a guy who can... Sounds like Melo in Houston. Yes, yeah, it's, it's basically the same thing. You know, you, it a similar circumstances or situation to where you have a very, very good player who will have to adapt, whose role will will change undoubtedly and, and will have to try to fit in with a with a different type of team. Obviously the Browns aren't really on the level of the Houston Rockets if you look at the fact that we won zero games last year and the Rockets won sixty five games and were one win away from going to the finals. It's completely different. And you have Des Bryant who's arguably a Hall of Famer and Melo who's a for sure Hall of Famer and first ballot, you know, pretty much locked in. Those are the similarities in terms of yeah. just having to adjust yeah. to a team.
1: Um I got to see you play last week in New York. It was great. Um, Mo Bamba was there, Trey Young, Spencer Didwitty, uh, Ennis Cantor. There's some really good players, and, and I thought you, you looked great. But you, you said to me earlier tonight that you, you felt like when you're playing in the summer, it's it's less about the, the misses or makes and more about getting to the spots and seeing what you're able to maybe add to your game. So just break that down for me, and then also – uh is it is it frustrating for you um if you're if you're if you feel like you're getting better and it doesn't necessarily translate right away uh in open runs?
0: Yeah, I think for me, pickup is like target practice. You know, you go through your individual workouts, you're lifting, you're trying to get stronger, you're working on certain things every day. And then those pickup games are your chance to kinda work on certain things, see what works, see what doesn't work, figure out what type of shots you want to take throughout the hour, hour and a half you may be playing, whether that's shooting a lot of threes, catching shoot, whether that's working on coming off screens, pin downs, flares, uh, transition baskets, finishing around the basket, um, shooting a lot more off the dribble threes, just getting more familiar with that type of stuff because I'm getting so many reps, floaters, off-foot floaters, right-hand, left-hand finishes that I want to just experiment with certain things in those pickup games. So at times you may see me, you may see me dribble six, seven times right. because i'm trying to, I'm trying to get a certain shot, yeah, from three, and maybe we're down two, and we needed to, so a lot of times you just you're just trying to figure out ways to have fun, win the game while working on certain things, and I think that's what I've been doing you know historically my entire life, working on certain things individually and then trying to see what translates to game action while getting your sweat in you know, having to finish over seven-footers, getting hit by screens, trying to get trying to get used to that physicality of an NBA game again, because working out one on zero is easy. Shooting jumpers with nobody guarding you is easy, but once you have to guard somebody, maybe you, you're getting posted up by Melo, you get caught on the switch with Ennis Canter, or Mo Bamba, who's seven foot and extremely long, is in that paint, you know, giving you a different look as you try to finish around a basket. It's a fun environment, and a lot of players are just out there experimenting and working on certain shots, and then when it's money time, obviously when it's game point, right, or it gets it gets close to you losing, that's when you just go with what you're good at. Whatever you do is what you go do at, at that point. Yeah, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I noticed that
1: it it was fun and it was great to watch. That the gym was pretty crowded. It was interesting just for me to watch Carmelo do some things. A little bit differently, maybe take some shots that I haven't seen him take. It was it was cool to watch some of the rookies go at it. Bamba switched out on Trey, uh, Trey getting to the hoop, and then Bamba altering a three. It was just it was really fascinating to watch. And I was watching you specifically because I wanted to ask you this question, which is I I saw you doing things that uh, maybe like left handed floaters or a couple extra dribbles that I I would not typically expect you to take. So that was you. Experimenting and, and just seeing if what works and what doesn't work, and then potentially if something's really good, you could take it to the NBA game.
0: Right. I, I don't use my left hand very much in games, especially on floaters. I usually finish quick around the basket, layups, left hand, um, preferably finishing with my right. But it's been a point of emphasis, finishing left, driving left, uh, being stronger around the basket, and just consciously when I know I will use my right hand, I try to use the left. And then the same thing goes for shooting off the dribble, where I would normally hezy and pull up off one or two dribbles. I'm maybe taking an extra dribble to see what I can get away with or just trying to work on certain combinations that I don't normally use in the game to see how comfortable I am with it before taking it into training camp and taking it into the preseason. But as the season gets closer everything tightens up. Less dribbles, less movement. You want to be as efficient as possible. And as KD would say, I know I want to get to that left elbow, or that right elbow. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to that spot. And then once I get there, I'm just rising up and living with the result. And I think that's that's the, the type of efficiency you want to have. And you see some of the better players in the league, the KDs, the Jimmy Butler gets to certain spots Klay Thompson gets to certain spots Steph gets to certain spots Bradley Bill, everybody has certain spots on the court they like to get to and take shots and then you have moments where you get in your James Harden bag where you want to take 8 to 10 dribbles and kind of wear the defense down show them a couple hesitation moves and oftentimes when you have a switch with a big, they flinch at everything, so if you hesitate they flinch at everything so that's when you try to get in your bag a little bit and and display some things but Overall it's been a it's been a fun a couple weeks of runs. There's a lot of runs going on in Miami, there's some in LA, Chris Johnson and those guys are having, you know, runs pretty much everywhere and it's just good to get a sweat in against quality NBA competition.
1: You have you haven't done uh my guy Rico and Earl's uh, breakfast run at UCLA, right? Breakfast Club? Have you done that yet? I haven't yet. I'll be spending some time in Orange County. Oh, you got to get there. That's a good run. That's really good.
0: Yeah, I got to get out there. But I'll be in Orange County working out. D Wade's having a little invitational for a bunch of guards, so I'll get some good bumps, some good uh, individual work in uh, for about a week in two weeks. So uh, I'm really looking forward to to getting that done. And since you brought up pickup, there's a question I got on Twitter. Yeah. Specifically about pickup, and you can and you can actually answer this too, since you were there witnessing it. Yeah. Maddie Gravel nine, in a pickup game like you played in the other day, is the focus on the newly drafted guys getting tips and some work against proven NBA talent, or just a chance to hoop with guys in the arena? So I'll go first. I think that it's a combination of both. Guys like Trey Young, Mo Bamba, um, even other rookies across uh, the NBA atmosphere who are who are playing in certain games I think for one they're just trying to play as much as possible because there's this dead point in time throughout the season where they would normally be on college campuses and they're not able to find quality runs two it's always fun to play against NBA guys uh in certain settings whether that be New York Miami California to where you know there's going to be quality players there quality talent and you can kind of test yourself and see where you're at but From a tip standpoint, I think the smart ones ask questions and the other ones learn on the fly. Did you notice any banter back and forth from some of the rookies to older players? What did you see? I did,
1: yeah. Well, what I was fascinated with was watching the rookies communicate with one another and then the transition of them then asking um, the vets. So, for example, after one game, I sat down next to Mo Bambo, who I've gotten to know a little bit, and he was talking to Trey, and they were kind of going over – I think it was pick and roll stuff and, you know, Bomba showing and then Trey deciding to pull. And then I was, it seemed like then the next game, when they applied it where Mo showed a little bit higher, this was him guarding Trey. And then Trey just pulled uh, as opposed to, you know, letting Mo get set defensively. Now he could have gotten, he could have let him get in his stance and uh, maybe that would have been an advantage or not. He could have flinched, but it was interesting to see just how quick he pulled uh, and that's something I've noticed that you do if a, before a big gets set where he can alter a shot or even somebody like Devin uh, Booker who when the big comes out, you just kind of – you might have a one or two dribble and then just a quick pull-up. And it was really interesting to see – them both put that to use one side defensively for Mo and then Trey on offense
0: yeah I think you hit it right on I think you (laughs) people have been getting on me on Twitter for saying you hit it right on the head so I can't say
1: that
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that you say that bro I'm gonna try to say another word yeah I agree wholeheartedly (laughs) I think you I think you nailed it (laughs) I think you nailed it honestly that was good, and the runs will continue to get better as it gets closer to the season. I think players will get in better shape, get more comfortable with being out there on the court, and I think overall, it's going to be a great summer. You know, we're about four or five weeks away from training camp. College football is starting up, and NFL is starting up. Fantasy leagues are starting up, man. So I'm honestly getting excited. CJ, I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna jump in with that college football. I did some research. Did you know that Lehigh Lafayette
0: is the oldest college football rivalry game in the country? Yeah, I knew that, man. There's nothing but excellence and greatness coming from the Patriot League. Of course you knew that. They had the 50th or 100th anniversary at a Yankee Stadium a few years back. Yeah. Lehigh football, can you give us some
1: insight? Uh, who's the quarterback? What kind of offense they are running? I don't know anything about Lehigh
0: football right now because I'm so far so far removed from campus. But historically, we've been really good. We've had some professional athletes be drafted and some guys sign camp deals. I'm going to
1: throw out a question that was asked by our man Lee Sandler on Twitter. He says, if you could,
0: if you could win a year's supply of anything, what would it be? That's a great question. If I could win a year's supply of anything, yeah, what would it be? Uh, Only for a year? That's the question. But I think in this case, you can deviate and you could go a lifetime as well. Maybe once a year and once for a lifetime. Yeah, I was gonna say if it's if it's lifetime, probably cell phone. Right. Cell phone fully loaded, man. So I don't have to so I don't have to pay a cell phone bill. I could I could watch TV on that phone. I could have service in Europe and China, and I have to worry about those extra data rumages. Uh, roman charges that they be trying to hit you over the head with, you know, 10 dollars here, 10 dollars there. Oh, they get you. They get you. Yeah. But a year supply, maybe gas? Yeah. Ga- uh yeah, gas is a good one. For sure, especially if you drive a truck. You know, shout out to Chevy. Chevy takes good care of me when I'm home. And uh those tanks. Those <laughs> tanks are huge. That wasn't a paid sponsorship shout out either. Those oh, yeah. tanks are huge. How about Netflix? Is that what you would
1: pick? That dude, for me, as somebody that because I watch my shows at odd times, because games are on late. So, whenever I can get my shows in, I like to stack them up,
0: and that's probably what I would pick. Yeah, mm, that's interesting. I like I like where your head's at. And since we're on the Netflix topic, I propose the question today to all our listeners out there and followers on Twitter, basically asking what I should watch before training camp starts and I got a I got a pretty nice list of shows so I think we can start with you did we can start with what you're watching and then we could go with what we're gonna to start to watch based on based on what <laughs> nobody us. gives a damn what I'm watching. <laughs> I, I care. Yeah well
1: you I, CJ that's why listen that's why you're the best because you, you care about what I'm watching. I, I'll say Peaky Blinder's great I know somebody recommended that. Um I think Mindhunters is interesting it's a different type of show on Netflix um, that goes back into the 70s with um inside kind of the minds of serial killers, very fascinating. Um, and then I would say if you want to really get something different, what is America? The new Sasha Baron Cohen is is awesome. I mean, if you like the Ali G stuff and you like Borat, I mean, this is up your alley. So those three kind of a
0: all all very different. How about you? That was a very very extensive list of shows. I'm going to have to add for sure. I'm currently watching. Queen of the South, um, and that's basically it from a Netflix standpoint. Queen of the South, and then the uh, what is it? Handtells, whatever. Handtail oh, Maid. Yeah. What I, yeah. what what is it called?
1: Handmaid's still. Handmade still.
0: Ha- handmaidens' tales. Yeah, those are the two shows I've been watching besides my normal. But based on Twitter, I'm getting a bunch of feedback. Um, shout out to Michaela. Michaela said I should watch Love Sick. G. Howard from Lehigh said, Ozark, which I've seen. Better Call Saul, which I've seen. The
1: Ozark l- is good. Yeah, Ozark's good.
0: Black Mirror is another good one that I've watched. Oh. I'm a fan of that for sure. That
1: one is rough, though. Like, I can only do one or two of those <laughs> at a time. I mean, that that is really heavy stuff.
0: It's it's really, really good. And if you're into, like, the Marvel series stuff, uh, Luke, Cage is, Luke Cage is really good. Um... The Punisher. The Punisher was a very, very quick watch for me during the season. I knocked out a season. Yeah, that was good. Super fast. Elizabeth said that we should watch Longmire, Wentworth, Queen Lizzie. I'm adding those. I liked I like that. Last Chance You is is dope. There's so many shows, dude. Last Chance You, I've seen snippets of that. It's a show that I think everybody should watch. So I'm adding that to my normal rotation. Money Heist is super dope. I watch Money Heist and Fell in love with it right away. How about Quantico? Jaren Skills set nine seven
1: eight says Quantico. And last chance, you—you're right. We got a lot of those. Better Call
0: Saul—that's really good. So I got a nice rotation in in place. And Rich, Katie kind of talked about it. Rich said that Wild Wild Country was good, and it's basically about an Oregon cult. Uh, 20, 30 years ago or something like that to where there's just some some interesting things happen, and that's my rotation for this weekend, 100%. I like that. I will be watching. I want to ask you something from Scott
1: McSweeney because we got to have Spencer Dinwiddie on. Spencer's a a great guy, and he had some fascinating— Instagram post, and Scott wants to know and by the way Spencer has been playing in the run so along with Ennis are you on Dinwiddie's side or Ennis's side in the Nets versus Knicks debate for the best team in New York what do you think about that and then didn't you love Spencer saying the Nets are the best team regardless of who actually is
0: I think that was funny for him stepping in and, and putting his two cents in there Spencer has a very very good sense of humor he's funny and understands that Twitter and social media in general is a very, very powerful tool, and it's a great way to get the Knicks and Brooklyn Nets involved in public forum and discussion during these dead times in the offseason. So I I commend both of them because normally they wouldn't be getting discussed right now. No, that's true. But But, okay, uh, (laughs) how about this? All right, since you don't want to answer. Looking at at these sides, I think that they're both – they're both not predicted to have very, very good seasons. I think it's funny Ron Artest that they were going to win the finals. I respectfully disagree with him on that uh, prediction, and I think that it's going to be interesting to see those teams go head to head this upcoming season, playing in the Garden and also playing in Brooklyn. I'm not on either one of their sides honestly because I, I play in the West, okay, uh, the Pacific well, let me, for one of the best yeah, teams let in me, the NBA. Yeah, yeah, let me. Let me. T- I could care. L- I could care less what happens <laughs> with them. Kind of similar to how the Browns aren't really worried about what's happening right. outside of their division.
1: Okay, well, I'll throw, I'll throw another fan question at you. And I, I really like this one because it's not something we've talked about before, and I think it, it shows how good the league is in terms of arenas. Um, some of the, the, your favorite, or just in general, different guys' favorite arenas and cities and atmospheres, and I'll let you go first. Give me your top
0: five. Yeah, Pinwheel Empire is, a, is one of my follows, too. So shout out to Pinwheel Empire. They, they have good content for all the Blazer fans out there. But top five outside of the Moda, I would say OKC has a good arena, good atmosphere. The, their fans come out in full force. It's always super loud. Um, let's go another Western Conference team where you know it's going to be a, a hostile environment. What about Staples? it's not necessarily the
1: loudest, but Staples center when the Lakers are rolling is, is really fun.
0: Yeah. But historically they haven't been rolling, Uh, although it'll be jumping this year and going to Staples and playing with LeBron and a lot of free agents there, but it's always nice to play in Staples, but the atmosphere, it's been dull, especially when you're playing the Clippers, it's been super dull. You know, the celebrities don't get there until halftime. They at the, they at the club chilling or getting food, lounging, relaxing. So it's, it's a different type of atmosphere, but even Houston, Houston fans get there late. late. All right, what about Warriors and Jazz? Warriors, Warriors Arena is always jumping. It's super loud. Sometimes you feel like they're, they're using crowd noise when they shoot those threes and go on those runs. Utah Jazz environment has gotten a lot better, you know, throughout my NBA career, and Dame has a lot of fans out there, so it's mixed cheers and booze throughout the game who also was at the top of the western conference
1: well the only other the only other west team that comes to mind is oklahoma city which you mentioned um i'm just trying to i'm thinking out loud here uh denver no memphis when when, when the grizzlies are good memphis is pretty fun in terms when, of
0: yeah a, a home court advantage for sure when the grizzlies are good memphis is jumping and they got some really really good barbecue chicken wings
1: <laughs> yeah they do i'm gonna give you my uh some of my sleepers toronto as a city is great the arena i have not been to but the city's great uh banker's life field house is very cool um it's kind of that old classic indiana arena um i think the garden in boston is still has a has a lot of uh it's just it's great it, it doesn't feel like a new arena it feels like the old garden but it's on a nice beautiful new facility the, those are some of my favorites
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Toronto has a really good arena, in arena as well. Drake usually comes out. Fans are excited, especially during the playoffs when they go outside and they watch at the the little Toronto Jurassic 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 Park. Park. Yeah, that's always jumping uh, during the games. And I enjoy long flights. There's two shows I forgot to mention. I forgot to mention Snowfall. Oh, here we go with the show. I had to go back. Snowfall is super dope. I've been watching Snowfall... What is Snowfall? Basically, it's about this inner city kid who's out in. I think it takes place in some of the rougher areas of of Los Angeles, uh, California, and it, it just goes through his life on, you know, how he gets goes down the path of selling drugs and how he becomes, you know, pretty big in his neighborhood. How he's outsourcing. He's using, you know, different connects in Oakland, different connects, you know, from from the Hispanics and, and from certain people who are, you know, out from outside of the country to help move his weight. And it's just really, really interesting to see the life of a young African-American kid growing up in the inner city, figuring out ways to provide for his family. And then his mom kind of disowns him because she finds out he's selling drugs, so he has to move out. It just kind of shows his rise to stardom in the drug dealing game.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. It's very good.
0: I would suggest you watch that for sure. What was the other one? And and Luther's another good show. Luther. Oh, Luther's great. Yeah, I love I love some Luther. He's gonna be Igris Alba's gonna be the new uh, Bond. It looks like, which is which is awesome. I have seen that. I seen that a black James Bond. That's gonna be super dope. Yeah, that's unprecedented. Never thought I'd see the day.
1: Yeah, what are some of the other cities that you love? Uh, Philadelphia is good. Toronto, um, Boston can be fun. Obviously, New York, Miami. But give me some of the sleeper cities. I think I think yeah, I was
0: gonna say Miami, Denver, Denver, Denver. When they're winning, their their fans come out. When they're winning, it's it's a uh, good environment from like off the court when the Cavs when the Cavs had Braun when the Cavs had Braun that arena was jumping. It was it was jumping and it's always nice to go home and and have a lot of fans out there supporting me. Indiana Pacers arena's coming along, like they're getting better and the fan support is continuing to improve. But what are some of your favorite cities though? Um New York, Toronto, Miami, LA San Antonio, uh, <laughs> not on my list of favorite cities, but it's not a no. I'm, I was playing. They got good chips and guac. Um, you like Houston, right? Houston's a good eating city for sure. You get you get a variety of food. Have some restaurants. Not a bad city. The Bay. The Bay has good food, good wine. Basically, you have about ten go to cities and arenas. Phoenix. I like Phoenix. Phoenix is nice, and you can get some good shopping in there. Everybody likes Phoenix, yeah. I judge judge cities based on food, shopping, and then the arena is last. Like, if you got fan support, whatever, we don't really care. We got to go hoop anyway. But being able to go eat at a nice restaurant or having good room service in the hotel is crucial.
1: Okay, let me ask you this. Extremely crucial. Yeah. Uh, How about this, then? When you go home to Cleveland and you're playing, obviously, in front of friends and family, people have asked me this too and I I don't really know how to answer it do you you ever do you feel a sense of at this point like extra pressure or no not anymore
0: no I've been playing in the league five going on six years man so I'm not really I'm not really worried about pleasing people trying to play well for people I'm way past that stage I go out there prepare the best way I know how and live with the results. And a lot of times the results are good, sometimes the results aren't. But when you put the work in every day, you can live with struggling, you can live with succeeding. And that's kind of how I've always been. And historically, I've played well at home, but there's nothing more humbling than going home and getting oh. a fat old DMP coach's decision. That's so bad. Is that- and that's how I started my career <laughs> in a suit and then DMP coach's decision. I was going to say, see, is
1: that during the time when you were taking taxis to the arena with, uh, with Coach Tibbetts? Yes,
0: sir. Those were the days. Work out before the game. Put the suit on during the game. Oh, brutal! Hey, hey! <laughs> sometimes you don't, yeah, Sometimes you don't put the suit on. You put the warm up on, knowing that you're not going to take it off. Man, that is so brutal. At least you were getting paid. That is very true, but it's a humbling experience not being able to play the game you love in front of everybody <laughs> when you know you're fully capable of doing just that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any more uh, fan fan questions? Because we got a ton of them. Yeah, we do have some more. Also had a late submission from Ashley. She says that Succession on HBO is very good. Hmm, okay. So the amount of shows Succession has been I mean, added.
1: Th- there must be two hundred shows on here. Now, now I just feel totally um, uninformed that I haven't seen most of these. I mean, I've heard of them, but there are so many on here. Like, have you even heard of, of half of these shows?
0: BoJack Horseman, American Vandal. Some of them, I've, some of them, I've never, I've never heard of. American Vandal, I've heard of, but I'm a Netflix guy. Like, when the season starts, I'm on Netflix searching, looking for popular, looking for recommendations based on what I watch, and I really take that seriously during the season because you have to pass time. Right, right. Outside of working out, outside of doing strenuous things in the body, and you can only read so many books before you want to watch a TV show. I got a question for you. This is from uh, at
1: DontTweetBen. CJ, is there a particular game in your career, high school, college, or NBA, that still eats at you? One that you wish you could go back and redo? Um,
0: Two. My senior year in high school, I should have went to the state tournament. And I was dribbling, dribbling out the clock, and the double team came, and I tried to bounce past it to my teammate, and it went out of bounds. So that was a tough turnover. They ended up coming down and scoring. We ended up losing in overtime. But the moral of the story is that I shouldn't have passed it, and the turnover – cost us that game. It cost me my senior season. The other game that kind of sticks with me is the game one of that series against the uh, Pelicans. I got a steal with about 47, 57 seconds left. And we had a chance to either hold it for a two for one or score on a fast break and I ended up turning the ball over. And I think that swung the series. That was a lot of momentum. We win game one. The pressure's on them going into game two. And I think that that uh, swung this series a little bit. And that's a possession I wish I could have got back. But uh, you live and you learn from it and figure out ways to get better. But that's a turnover, a passing turnover with a, with a chance to go on a three-on-one or, or two-on-one fast break. Just can't happen. But Do you rewatch that or no? I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it a wow. thousand times. And can you learn from it or is it just a fluke play? Yeah, I mean, I would hope I learn from it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be in some serious trouble if I haven't learned from it. Oh, uh, all right. Well, That's for sure. That's fair.
1: Um, how about some wine? Because I got a good one for you, but I know
0: you got something special for me first. I do. I do. I had to check my Bovino because it's been so long since I took a picture of the actual wine I was drinking. I had a nice, peaceful weekend at Wifey's uh, parents' house this last weekend. And we actually drank three, four, I think we had five bottles, but I didn't take pictures of them. So I don't actually remember what, exactly what we were drinking, but they were Oregon wines. And one of the wines was mm-hmm. a white Pinot. Uh, it was spectacular. It was a white Pinot, and I believe it was a 13 from the uh, Domain Serene area. And I can't remember the name of it right now, but when I check the files, I'll have it. But one of the recommendations I want to make for those out there that are interested in buying a middle-of-the-price-range middle of the, middle of the price range wine, 69 bucks, expensive up to some. Middle of the range to others, but I think it's a, a good buy. It's among the top one percent of wines in the world, and it's featured in Best Wines for over eighty bucks right now. If you want it, although it's under eighty bucks, is the Justin. It's seventy-five percent cab, sixteen percent of something else, mixed with a little bit of merlot, <laughs> and I think it goes well with everything. As we as we always say, it's extremely smooth. It's full flavored. It doesn't linger long, and if you have a few glasses, there's no hangover, which is always important. <laughs> and it's a California Bordeaux blend.
1: Well, I uh, I appreciate that because it always tastes the same after two glasses. Exactly. Right? It all tastes the same after two glasses, maybe three. <laughs> all right. So I went to California this week, uh, actually last night, and I got a Pinot Noir from the Sonoma Coast. It's called Faya, F-A-I-L-L-A, and as always, I'll send you the good one, so i'll text you this one this one was 40 bucks there was also another one uh from a different vineyard called the Hirsch vineyard which is around 100 but the 40 dollar one is their kind of their their industry wine it was great and i don't even know how to describe it other than that it was a really good pinot and you know that's all i drink basically every that's basically 90 percent of my wine whenever you come over we drink pinot pinot is always the go-to and for forty bucks, you can't beat it. Forty bucks, I like it. It's nice and simple. I could say it's smooth, but it's that would good. just be repeating
0: every week. <laughs> it goes with every type of meal we look for. Hey, CJ, how's my ottoman doing? Man, I'm I'm telling you, a new ottoman just gonna show up <laughs> at your crib.
1: For those who don't know, just to reiterate, CJ actually ruined my ottoman
0: <laughs> during the NBA playoffs. Ordering it soon as Wifey gets back. Ordering a new ottoman today. All right. Well. It's just something that has to happen, kinda of like the Blazers winning a championship. Another one. Exactly. So to are you happen. gonna be uh in LA next week for our for our pod? I'll be in Oregon next week for the pod. I got my kids camp in Oregon, uh August twentieth to the twenty third. So I'll be recording after my kids camp. Great. That'd be perfect. It'll be it'll have to be a late late pod because camp goes 9 to 3. All right, well, we'll make that work. I so, something tells me I'll I'll be able to figure it out. Don't worry about something, it. Something tells you you'll be able to do it and we'll have to answer some more Twitter questions next week as well as having a nice guest on for, for the yeah. faithful listeners. Take us home, brother. You can catch us anywhere you get your pods and also via radio.com. You can get their app or head to app.radio.com backslash CJ for your weekly dose of pull-up. And you can follow Jordan because I'm done saying my social media. (laughs) Okay, well, maybe this is it for me. I'm at Schultz underscore report on
1: Twitter and Instagram, Jordan Schultz on Facebook. And don't forget to pull up, pull up.